Hey everybody, welcome to An American F1. It's been a long time since we've done our Formula One recap of, you know, the race weekend and everything that happened. And the last race that really, I, I never did a Saudi Arabian Grand Prix debrief. I guess I was just too tired. Listen, it's been a crazy April with my job and things and life. And, you know, sometimes those things get in the way. But really, was the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, was there really that much to talk about? I mean, it was... You know, for Saudi Arabia, which we've had a lot of good races at Saudi Arabia, meh, kind of race. But what I think was more interesting was the last race we had was the Australian Grand Prix. Now, European fans, I I got a little gripe with you guys because every time, every time the Australian Grand Prix happens... We have to hear on the other side of the pond here in America how it sucks to be watching the race early, how, you know, blah, 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 this is early for a race, uh, you know. Hey, hey, listen, if you're living in England or, you know, Western Europe or Europe for that matter, um, or that same longitudinal section of the world, enjoy it, embrace it, because here in America, right, here in America, Almost every race, we wake up at 8 in the morning, 9 in the morning, 7 in the morning. For the Australian Grand Prix, I was up after midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, watching the race. You know what? Make it a day. It's Sunday. Enjoy it. Get yourself a little beer. Get yourself a little mixed drink. Have a nice breakfast. Watch the race. Then you got the whole day in front of you. Embrace it. Embrace the early start time. I love it here in America. Honestly, I love that the race is so early because, you know, sometimes I have a little morning beverage. Uh, I get my nice little breakfast going. And then it sets up the whole Sunday when, oh my God, when there's other sports on, I watch those. When NASCAR's on, I get to watch IndyCar, whatever. Embrace what it is because it is something kind of beautiful to be able to watch a race that early and you just got to experience it to know it and listen you guys don't complain on twitter about it because i'm not going to feel any sympathy you got to embrace it it's nothing that bad but anyway the australian grand prix um you know i thought it was one of our most exciting races of the year first of all and you know of course we could talk again about how red bull basically drove away with the race but but we were tempted, right? We were tempted a little bit with Mercedes. Like, there were moments in that race where we thought, hey, maybe, just maybe, Mercedes is going to be able to pull this off. But as we know, Red Bull this year is just demonstrating pure dominance. But I, I got to admit, I was impressed early on in the race with the way uh, George Russell pulled out to a nice start. And, you know, how it looked like, you know, maybe if the right things happened, that we could have seen ourselves with some interesting results. But alas, in the not-so-far-surprising 2023 F1 season, we had another win by Max Verstappen. But I'm not here to talk about Max Verstappen. I'm here actually to talk about the race that was and some performances that kind of caught me off guard, or should I say kind of gave me a little surprise. Um, Of course, we could talk about that whole mess at the end, whether you agree or not, whether there should have been a red flag or not. That's up to you. But, you know, I thought it was really cool how, you know, two cars that really impressed me, two teams or two drivers specifically. And I know for one, actually, really for both drivers, it didn't work out quite at the end. But Nico Hulkenberg was actually so freaking close to a podium for Haas. 
if it weren't for the red flag situation and, you know, some other factors. But wouldn't that have been crazy? Because we've been talking for how long has Hulkenberg been in now? Since 2013? Am I right with that numbers? Is it earlier? Later? I forgot. But however long Nico Hulkenberg has been in, we've been talking about how this guy hasn't had a podium. And, like, everybody judges his career on the fact that he has not had a podium. But, nevertheless, he almost achieved one at the Australian Grand Prix with all that mess of red flags. And he almost achieved it in a Haas. Now, again, I think I mentioned this earlier after the Bahrain Grand Prix. I might have even mentioned it with preseason testing. For the longest time, many of us, including myself, have been shitting on Nico Hulkenberg, frankly, for saying, I think it was more of the Schumacher favoritism. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I favorited Michael Schumacher. Uh, Wow, I said Michael Schumacher. Mick Schumacher. Uh, I want to see him do great, and I still think he'll make some strides with Mercedes, and, you know, God willing, if he finds a way back, that's great. But, Nevertheless, I was downright impressed with Nico Hulkenberg. I'm still impressed with what he's done for Haas. I think that, you know, say what you want about Gunther Steiner. And, you know, recently I think I saw an article where Gunther Steiner was actually talking about how much money Mick actually cost the team. And that's been well documented, too, with Drive to Survive and things like that. But, you know, say what you want about Haas and how they're run. I really do think that getting Nico Hulkenberg on that team was the right move that was the right thing to do because he really does I think in a way fill that gap that team needed Haas is not a team that can take too many risks I think with a rookie an unproven rookie um such as mixed status and I know you could say Mick had his championship and and F2 and things like that but um you know I don't think that would have been the proper move for Haas Haas needs a driver like a Hulkenberg like a Magnuson to kind of set the Steiner ship as you would say uh, on the correct course. So props to Haas. I think Hulkenberg has extracted some good pace out of the car. He's outperforming Kevin Magnuson. I believe he's 3-0 this year in both qualifying and races. So, you know, to see Hulkenberg really, and I think we've always known that potential is there. Let's get real. There was a lot of hate for him. Uh, you know, I think mostly because again, like I mentioned, he was taking the Mick Schumacher ride, but Nico Hulkenberg has proven he's had pace. In those substitute rides, you know, he literally almost got a podium after starting in the back in a racing point. And he's just managed to quality well. He's managed to be consistent. And I think we're going to see an ups. I mean, I could be wrong, but if Haas, from what I was reading, Haas has some upgrades and they expect to be more competitive. So if the potential for Haas is there, then I would say, you know, Hey, this is the chance for me to be Nico Hulkenberg to have really show he belongs. And I think we've all known that all along. Um, The other driver who's shown really good pace and was actually matching other teams. And honestly, this is a team that (laughs) has not really performed, I don't think, as well as we expected. And that would be the Alpines. The Alpines just, you know... That was a team that I really thought had an upside last year. And I thought going into this year, Alpine would have figured stuff out. And Alpine would have been a team that would have been more competitive, kind of. I thought we would have seen more of an Aston Martin-like performance from Alpine this year. You know, where they've kind of taken the um, results by storm. But they haven't. Alpine has just been, you know, lowly 
kind of so far these first couple of races. Really, I think underperforming. I don't think anybody would disagree if we said that Alpine has been underperforming this year. And, you know, they were having quite a solid race. Pierre Gasly was actually, uh, I believe, matching the pace of Stroll in, you know, obviously in an Aston Martin, which has been the third fastest, maybe even technically the second fastest car this year. So, you know, to see what Pierre Gasly was doing and even Esteban Ocon to a lesser extent, get those Alpines in better position, it kind of gives you some optimism. And I do think, again, you know, Pierre Gasly has a lot of talent. Esteban Ocon has a lot of talent. It's just a matter of whether Alpine can figure out their cars. And, you know, maybe Fernando knew something. Maybe there was a reason why Fernando and Oscar Piastri up and left that team. You know, maybe there is something that we don't know about developmental-wise or something where the team is not really, you know, performing up to snuff, I guess, as you could say. Um, Other elements of the race, I guess, you know, Ferrari, I mean, Ferrari this year has just been a disaster class. They just have not been able to secure anything of of worth lately. And it's just been, you know, Carlos Sainz getting dropped, which, you know, you might argue that was an unfair penalty. And, of course, Ferrari is... um, you know, basically challenging the decision of the FIA, basically, you know, Fred Vasher, again, Ferrari's in this weird position, right? Because Ferrari's in very much of another transitional phase where we got to, if you're a Ferrari fan, you want to start seeing things that are evidence of progress. And for Carlos Sainz getting dropped from fourth to fifth, uh, not fourth to fifth, sorry, from getting dropped to the back of the field, basically at the points because of his penalty, um, you know, Fred Vasseur was really challenging the FIA and their inconsistencies, basically saying, you know, you know, they made such a quick decision with the Carlos Sainz case at Australia. But with Alonso's pit box race, it took, you know, a whole lot of time. And, uh, you know, it's kind of crazy that people were, you know, that Ferrari would say that. And, you know, they have a right to appeal. I don't think, you know, if their appeal actually ends up getting approved, it'll be, you know, one in a million shot. I could see why Ferrari's miffed. I could see why they were annoyed. And, um, you know, the other takeaway from this race, again, I got to say, Mercedes getting their car into, you know, Hamilton finishing second, Alonso finishing third. But Mercedes, really, Hamilton and Russell both looking up to, you know, in a lot better form. I know, of course, the safety car, blah, 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 some benefits not. But this was a race where you want to see, if you're Mercedes, you can maybe take this race and build forward from it now. I've been seeing on Twitter there's been a lot of controversy in regards to Mercedes having issues, maybe Hamilton questioning the design of the car, questioning the FIA's merits in terms of aerodynamics and whether it's actually making the racing better or worse. George Russell basically uh, accusing Red Bull of holding their pace. So there's been a lot of things just flying along in the F1 news in regards to Mercedes. And, you know, looking at this Australian Grand Prix, if Mercedes can take something away, is that they had a good result. Let's build off that result if you're Mercedes. You know, let's see what you can do going forward. And, you know, listen, it's not unexpected. Mercedes wasn't going to be a top team forever. And, you know, people can criticize the FIA for making rules to, you know, challenge Mercedes. The fact is when you're at the top, people are going to chase you at the top. They're going to develop to make their cars chase you, right, and be better than you. And when you got a team like Red Bull, listen, Red Bull is not some kind of fairy tale team they're not kind of they're not this low level team red bull 
has had great performances in the past. They've been consistently a number two, number three car, you know, for numerous for numerous seasons. If they weren't number one, they were number two, they were number three. Max Verstappen was challenging Hamilton's for wins when Hamilton was dominating in 21 and 20. Well, 21, obviously, Max Verstappen won the championship. Wow. 20 and 19, those COVID seasons, you know, and before that, Red Bull was challenging for victory. So it's it's not like Red Bull is some magic team coming out of nowhere. Red Bull has the resources and they were always going to develop to try to attack Mercedes. And, you know, in 21, they found that opportunity and you could say what you want about Abu Dhabi, which again has somehow Abu Dhabi, like it, I feel like it's a requirement on Twitter, on F1 Twitter for Abu Dhabi 21 to come up like every couple of months, because lately there are fans, I guess, starting a petition to overturn the race, which will lead us into our next story. But like, you know, Sometimes you just want to, yeah, can people get over it, you know? And speaking of people not getting over races and results and championships, we have people still complaining about Abu Dhabi 21, but even more controversial, we still have people complaining about Singapore 2008. Yep. Felipe Massa in the last couple of weeks has made news because I guess there was, you know, I, I got to say I'm wrong. I don't have the information in front of me. Um, but there was some kind of thing that came out where somebody mentioned they knew about Crashgate and Felipe Massa basically wants it looked into. He's looking into legal avenues to basically contest and overturn the 20, the 2008 F1 title. Could you imagine if that happened? Could you imagine the riot? There is no way that's going to get overturned. But I understand. Listen, if you were watching that race in Brazil in 2008 at the time, you know how painful that was and oh man that is one of the worst moments i think in uh arguably f1 history right like oh massa losing that title but but at the same time at the same time uh you know you gotta understand if you're felipe massa that is there really a point is there really a point um fighting this title is there really a point trying to get this overturned because what is really going to happen there? You know, what will happen? <laughs> There's no way um, any kind of legal avenue is going to solve that. I mean, what is this? We're almost not 10, 10, 15, almost 15 years away from that, you know, faithful championship. So, you know, for Felipe Massa to be in the news trying to take care of this again. I mean, come on, bro. Just like, let's get over it. Let's regroup. Let's... uh you know, it is what it is, and, uh, you know, we'll have to go from there. But anyway, um, some other news, I guess, just things people might want to know, you know. Again, this is going to be a shorter episode. It's a little too late for me to break down the whole Australian Grand Prix. I gave you my thoughts. It's more of a tidbits kind of episode. I'll come back with some stuff next week. But, you know, some news you guys might want to know. Um, first of all, Ferrari. Ferrari in the news again, trying to upgrade their car. Um they're introducing a bunch of upgrades until May. And again, like I said before, Ferrari's been one of these teams that have just been consistently behind. And they've been, frankly, a disappointment this year, along with, I think, Alpine and McLaren, who actually, I forgot to mention, props to Oscar Piastri. Listen, it wasn't probably the way it was drawn up, as you would say in the playbook, for McLaren getting double points at Australia. But nevertheless, thanks to some last lap carnage, McLaren getting points in Australia and Oscar Piastri getting points in his home Grand Prix. You got to kind of feel pumped for the guy at the fact that, uh, you know, he was able to score some points. 
and really, I don't know, get McLaren on the board. I, I believe now every team has scored a point this year, which, you know, I think last year, what was that? Was it Williams that didn't score a point for a long time? I can't remember, but, um, you know, it's always good to see every team getting some points, especially this early on in the season. There's nothing wrong with that. I think we could be happy with. You know, every team's getting some variety of points. Um, and that actually reminds me, another driver I f- totally forgot to mention. A driver surprising me this year, and I think, you know, a little praise. I know it's only three seasons in, but a little praise has to go to Yuki Tsunoda. Yuki Tsunoda? Yuki. Ah, Yuki Tsunoda. Uh, Yuki getting in the points again, or getting a point again um, at Australia. Uh, Yuki has just been... In my mind, Yuki has been getting an Alpha Tauri um, in positions where it shouldn't be. It's a, it's an atrociously slow car. It's it's reminding me of the old Toro Rosso days, where you know Toro Rosso was genuinely a second team to Red Bull and lacked the pace. And you know Yuki Tsunoda has looked in much better form this year, much more consistent. And I've been saying this since his rookie year, but Yuki Tsunoda is a good driver, but he is, in my mind, a little, or was at least a little too aggressive. I think he was overdriving that car at times, and I'm really glad he has one more opportunity this season in that Alpha Tauri car. Listen, is he going to be good enough to make the leap to the big team at Red Bull? That I don't know. But will it be enough to prove that he's a worthy driver and maybe can find his luck with another team if Red Bull's willing to let him go? Uh, I think that's a distinct possibility. And, you know, Yuki has credited, actually, I saw on Twitter that some of his driving ability, I think he was looking at Fernando Alonso from other years and looking at his defensive driving skills to improve his own. So, you know, you got to admit that this was a guy, Yuki realized he was weak in many forms. And I think, you know, as much as we want to criticize Drive to Survive for being dramatic, um, you know, we got that look last year in Drive to Survive. We saw how... Yuki, frankly, was off in his discipline, his fitness, and he took those goals seriously. And I think he realizes that, you know, to be a good F1 driver, it's not just enough to be able to drive a car. There is a commitment you need there. And what we saw him doing in Drive to Survive with his fitness regime and, you know, maybe moving closer to Italy, being closer to the engineers, being closer to his shop, being able to be as involved as good drivers are is crucial to his development as a driver crucial to his maturity as a driver so you got to give him credit he has taken the criticism he's taken the um points of advice and he's trying to improve himself as a driver and you know that's something i think we've seen too with esteban Ocon when he was released and you know esteban still i think does have a little bit of that edge to him where he will fight a teammate uh, he will push the envelope a little bit, but again, it reminds me of that trajectory where, you know, they stay focused, they stay maintained. They're going to try to find their way, uh, using whatever methods advice they need possible. So, uh, credit to Yugi credit on his improvements this year. Um, and then, <laughs> um, the Malaysian GP hosts, I know people keep mentioning, I believe Sepang, right? Uh, it keeps coming up in the news, uh, that people want it. People want to race there, and the organizers of the Malaysian J- JP GP admit that they would like to host the race too, but the costs are too high. And honestly, 
for me, I would love to see that area of the world represented more. We do have some good races there. Uh, we unfortunately never got the race in Vietnam that we were promised. We haven't had a Chinese Grand Prix in God knows so long. We've, we have Singapore. We have Japan. But, you know, I would love to see more races in that side of the world. And I know, again, that we do have uh, Australia. But there is a huge, you know, Asian, Southeast Asian presence of fans in F1. And it would be nice to have not just that representation shown on the grid, but also that representation shown in tracks as well. And I think it's just a shame that we're not going to get races there for a long time because, you know, F1 is becoming a hot ticket. It is becoming expensive. We know that. We know what races coming in, you know, Las Vegas, Miami. Um, I'm hearing about rumblings about London, things like that. It's a shame that South Africa hasn't been able to get off the ground, I believe, even due to like some uh, funding issues as well. So, you know, just want to see these things happen. But, you know, we know that it's high cost and it's difficult. Um, but also the last thing, I guess. So we have a sprint race coming up at Baku. It feels so long. We still have two more weeks before another race. And again, I'm just here trying to satiate your your longing for F1. I'm trying to satiate the fact that we don't have a race until April 28th. We don't have a race weekend until April 28th. So that's still quite a bit away, almost 15 days away. But nevertheless, Baku is a sprint race and Christian Horner has basically criticized it because of how costly a race like Baku can be. And I get it. It's it's a tight track. It's a street race. It's, it's high speed. A lot can go wrong at Baku. Um, there are a lot of tricky turns. There are a lot of sketchy turns, especially in that castle section. And I could see why Christian Horner is concerned about the fact that, you know, cars could get torn up in a sprint race there. But personally, I'm a fan of the sprint race. So and I like Baku. So I'm kind of excited to see a race there. Two races there in reality. Um, I do wish something would spice up the sprint race a little bit, but I don't know how. I don't have a good idea right now, but maybe a little reverse grid action. I don't know. I'm just contemplating in my head something similar to like what F2 does. But yeah, um, you know, I think Baku would be an interesting spot for a sprint race. I think it could be uh, pretty cool. So, you know, Christian Horner being mad, but I feel like Christian Horner has a requirement to be mad or criticize some kind of something in the news, you know, all the time because that's just who he is. You know, he's like that secret Bond villain we see all the time. Uh, anyway, nevertheless, that is basically what I got for you guys today. I really wanted to get an episode in. I, I had to say some stuff because it was just been a long time without talking to you guys. And I'm going to try to be as consistent as possible. I'm going to try keeping up with the, you know, the F1 world, the, the news, the highlights that come up. And, uh, you know, I'm going to try to talk to you guys, you know, more often and, you know, basically just share what I can, especially in this time where we have a big lull between races. I mean, this has been a long time without any racing and race weekend. And we kind of knew that was coming up, but nevertheless, listen, you guys stay good. Um, I do have one other piece of some sad news. Um, one of the world rally championship drivers, Craig Breen, um, died passed away unfortunately in a testing crash ahead of rally croatia so you know as a fan of motorsport i think we all are we know how dangerous this sport can be and you know how you know sometimes we're reminded of these moments of you know how real racing is and 
how unfortunate things can happen in the world of racing. And it's just a really, really sad situation. And, you know, at 33 years old, um, you know, he was already finishing second. He, he had a lot of potential, um, great driver. And it's just, you know, as a racing fan, I would like to express my sincere condolences and, you know, just really thoughts and prayers with the family of Craig Breen and just reminding that motorsport is a, you know, we love motorsport, but sometimes, uh, the gravity and seriousness of, and the dangers of the sport are sadly evident. So again, uh, deepest condolences to the families and friends of Craig Breen, world rally cup driver. And I hate to end the show on a note like that, but it had to be said. So, um, I'll look forward to talking to you guys next week hopefully you know some positive f1 news we'll 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 see what happens um you know we'll get ready for this baku grand prix sprint race weekend so stay tuned keep following guys keep listening thank you very much and i will talk to you guys soon